Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the podcast by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you? I'm good. And we had a question come in, and so I've got a question for you. <laughs> Passing it <laughs> for on. For us. For us. Sharing responsibility. <laughs> That's it. And it was around Safe Work Australia released mm. a code of conduct on managing psychosocial hazards at work. And the question was really around with the the culture measure we have, the OCI, OEI, are there insights from that people could use in their work for this code of conduct and, and mapping it against these outlines from Safe Work Australia? And so I thought, well, it might be interesting, Corinne, because it'd be, I guess it'd be useful for people who already have that data or are thinking about doing it. Hey, you can you can map them together. So I'm going to use your brain power to kind of do some of that mapping. Okay. And sort of why Let's it might go. matter. Awesome. Look, it's an interesting topic anyway, because you know, with Safe Work Australia, they're talking about a person conducting a business or undertaking must ensure, as far as reasonably practicable, workers and other persons are not exposed to risks, right? And they talk about a duty holder must identify reasonably foreseeable hazards that could give rise to psychosocial risks and eliminate them um, as far as, pr- as practical or minimize them or whatever. And so it's just an interesting thing for everyone to be aware of, right? Because Safe Work Australia can, you know, bring rulings and 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 stuff, at, you know, against organisations not doing this stuff. So it's good to be on the front foot of it. Totally, and I think it's a really good piece of work because I think we've known about the importance of safety in general and psychological safety more recently. And what this does is to really kind of specify the areas that organisations need to pay attention to in order to make sure that they're meeting their duty of care. And to me, the connection with culture is very clear that when you have a healthy, constructive culture, people will feel safe, physically safe, psychosocially safe, Mm -hmm. and culturally safe. Mm -hmm. And so this gives us a great platform, Dom, to talk about what the connection is between these psychosocial hazards that Safety Australia has identified and how it might map across to our culture diagnostic. Yeah, awesome. And and their first point actually is the first step in the risk management process is to identify these hazards. And so the survey is going to help you do that. So if we kind of go through some of them, the first one they've got there is job demands. Mm. And so they describe that as intense or sustained high mental, physical, or emotional effort required to do the job, unreasonable or excessive time pressures or role overload amongst some other other ones there. So mm. ha- where does that connect in, do you think? I think what we're going to find is there's. it looks like there are 14 potential hazards that mm. Safety Australia and I think what we're going to find is that there are a number of factors that map into from our culture diagnostics. So yep. for this job demands, I think there's probably a few areas. So one is about stress. So one of the factors that we measure through the organizational effectiveness inventory, part of the How Culture Works model that Rob Cook developed, is we look at the levels of stress. Now, stress in this context isn't about 
general worries in life. Stress in the OEI looks at the level of frustration that I experience, the level of tension that I experience when I am doing the job. So one of the descriptors of job demands is intense or sustained high mental, physical, or emotional effort required to do the job. And so that'd be something that we would measure through the stress items. The other one I think that would be relevant is goal difficulty. So there's a whole set of factors we measure relating to goal setting practices. And when we're looking at goal setting practices, one of the things that we're looking at is whether they're too hard just right, or it makes me feel a bit like Goldilocks goal setting practices, but too hard as in they're too difficult, yep. unachievable and, mm-hmm. and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to some of those points in there yep. where the goal is overambitious and cannot be achieved within the resources that people have been given. Yep. So I think that's the second one. So stress, goal difficulty would measure that. And I think the other one might be too to a degree, the job design in terms of how the job has been designed in terms of the conditions Mm -hmm. of work and Mm -hmm. the nature of the work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. and how that needs to be done. They were my first top of mind thoughts. Dom, what what did you think? The other I'd probably add in the mix is uh, empowerment. Mm. Um, Just because under there, there's questions around, do I have the resources and time to actually do the job? So adequate resources. You know, often when people see empowerment, they think of the authority, which is part mm. of it. But authority is nothing if you don't also have the resources and time to mm. practice and so on. So mm. I think that's kind of talking to the unreasonable or excessive time pressures or role overload. Mm. The other thing that I think is interesting about that descriptor is that it covers the spectrum of intensity. So mm. too much intensity, too much effort is not good, but also low effort long periods of idleness can uh-huh. also cause psychosocial strain. True. So that that's the goals are too easy. Yeah, goals we are underestimate too easy. People. And so, yep. you know, they lose interest, they get demoralized, and that links back to your empowerment. So I think that was, um, there's probably four things yep. from the survey that we covered there. Yep. And ne- then next, next one, one yep. was uh, low job control. Mm. So they define this as workers have little control over aspects of the work, including how or when the job is done. They have limited ability to adapt the way they work to changing or new situations, have limited ability to adopt efficiencies in their work because it's tightly scripted or machine computer paced work. The job doesn't allow them to apply their skills and judgment, levels of autonomy not matched to workers' abilities. Mm. So I think there's three areas there. One you referred to before, which is a level of empowerment. Now, in our measure of culture, as you said, empowerment doesn't refer to autonomy. Autonomy is a separate thing that we measure. But the way that we define empowerment in the culture, um, how culture works model, is really where the people have the opportunity Mm. to practice and to apply their skills mm-hmm. and experience. So have limited ability to adapt the way they work to a changing environment. So in a high empowerment environmental culture, if I ask you to do something new, I'm going to give you time to right. learn how to adapt, to practice, and to learn the skill. Gotcha. So I think empowerment's there. 
The other one I think that's very clearly measured in the culture is autonomy. Yep. So the degree to which I feel like I am 100% responsible for deciding how the job gets done. Mm-hmm. And it may be that I'm not responsible for what gets done, but I'm responsible for how things get done. Better still if I'm responsible or at least I can co-set goals. So I think that would be another in area autonomy, the degree to which I feel I can make decisions about how I spend my time in getting the job done. Mm. The third thing is another one that we – sits in terms of the way that power is distributed in an organisation is involvement. So the degree to which I'm involved in decisions that impact me. So one of the things that can happen in organisations, for example, is that there's restructuring that's happened or there's new technology that's being brought on and the decisions about how that technology is implemented and how it will impact roles is made typically by a a team, a task force, and there may not be a lot of consultation with the people who are actually doing the job. So employee and involvement, if that was high in an organisation, you'd mitigate a psychosocial hazard by mm. involving the people who that job best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, yeah, what do yeah, you think? Yeah, no, I, I think you're all over it. Yeah, so, you know, that autonomy is clearly a, a super obvious link between those, but giving people that yeah, autonomy to make decisions. How, and I like your point about it's not what gets done, but how do we do it? Mm. So I can choose how to go about my job. It's like, cool, we know what the objective is, but I get to choose, make the plan. Yeah. You know, I get to make the plan. So if that's low in your culture measure, that might be a potential hazard to look at. The next one, Corinne, was poor support. Mm. So they talked about tasks or jobs where workers have inadequate support, including practical assistance and emotional support from managers Mm. and colleagues or inadequate training tools, resources for a task. So I'm hearing a few overlaps as well. Yeah, so which is great, right, because it means that the one measure will be able to deliver across these these different hazards. So what did you hear in that that you think we've spoken about? So, well, so in that was the uh, empowerment, again, because we're talking about the resources and training. Yeah. So we've talked to that. That's a bit of an overlap. Probably the new ones in there was around the support from managers. So practical assistance and emotional support for managers and colleagues. Yes. So for managers, we definitely have it as far as some of those leadership causal factors. In particular, I'm thinking consideration. Yes. And task facilitation. So my manager helps me improve my work. Yep. Helps me correct problems. Helps me correct problems. Consideration, they'll listen to my Issues, they'll listen to my opinions. Yeah. I also think personal basis of power is in there because that describes the degree to which I feel the respect of my manager is important. I value their good opinion. So it's the accessibility of managers. But I agree, consideration and empowerment and task facilitation because that's about the degree to how much my manager helps me solve my work, my Mm. task problems. Mm. Mm. And then I guess thinking of the colleagues one, it's mm. probably more of an outcome we mm. measure, which is intra-unit coordination, cooperation, yep. which is teamwork within the team, but also inter, so across teams yes. as well, right? So because questions in there are like, can I rely on people, you know, to produce excellent work? Can I yep. rely on them to come through when teamwork is needed? Yeah. Uh, which I think is a bit of a measure of this. And one of the cross-functional questions is the degree to which other teams work 
cuts across my ability to do my job. Right, interferes with our ability. Interferes, yep. it's not yep. exactly the same. The other thing that I thought, so you've got intra-unit, oh, I had a thought there, Dom, and oh, it's gone. You, I'm it's sure gone. It was, it'll come back. I'm sure it was gold. <laughs> of course, <laughs> well, of course. We're never going to know now. Yeah. Well, it'll course, come back to you if we move yeah. on, probably. <laughs> it will. <laughs> um, so, so you can call it back. All right. The next one was lack of role clarity. Mm. There's one pretty obvious causal factor or outcome, I should say, in there, which is role clarity is one of the uh, yeah. outcomes we measure. They define it as uncertainty, frequent changes, conflicting roles, or ambiguous responsibilities <laughs> and expectations. Yeah. So we have two things at least mm-hmm. that measure that. One is role clarity the degree to which I understand what I'm here to do and, you know, how to spend my time. But we also have something called role conflict. And role conflict assesses two things, assesses two things. One is the degree to which I'm getting mixed messages. So one, my supervisor tells me one thing and then their manager comes in on another day and tells me Uh something else. So I'm getting mixed message about how I should spend my time and it's confusing, okay? Right. So it causes a conflict in my ability to actually do the job. The other thing that role conflict assesses is the degree to which I'm being asked to do the work in a way that contradicts or opposes the way that I would like to do it. Right. Okay, and so an example, if I put it in everyday language and everyday example Say my role has been restructured completely and I've been asked to stop doing one thing and to focus on doing something new, it could be that having done the role for 10 years, I think that's the wrong decision. I think I should have been allowed to keep Mm. doing what I've always done. Mm. So that sets up a conflict in kind of a dissonance Mm. in terms of how what I'd like to do versus what I'm being Mm. asked to do. Mm. So I think that's also a pressure if you look at uncertainty, frequent changes, conflicting roles or ambiguous responsibilities. The other one there is goal clarity, I think, Dom. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit of a – because those are outcomes, I guess. Yeah, they're outcomes. So what's the causal factor going into it? I would think goal clarity. So are we clear on what we're trying to achieve? And maybe participative goal setting. I kind of think those go together a bit. I think so, yep. And the other is mission and philosophy. So articulation of mission, how clear am I on the strategy, how clear are we on the mission and what we're trying to achieve gives us, because I've seen ambiguous responsibilities, Mm, right? So it removes some of that. And so it's probably, you know, from a cultural point of view, it's a bit of a passive culture in general. It's kind of an ambiguous culture. Although frequent changes could be read. I was going to say, yes, it could be that in in an aggressive, defensive culture, the way ambiguity gets created and Mm. uncertainty is constant change, Mm. snap decisions, reactions rather than responses. Or or as you say, those conflicting requests. Conflicting requests. Put the boxes on the trolley but also on the shelf. And it's like, how how do I do this? (laughs) And, And in green, ambiguity gets created and uncertainty by the lack of specificity, mm-hmm. the lack of clarity yes. on where it is that you're wanting me to focus my effort. Yeah, totally. Next one was poor organizational mm, change management. Interesting one. Yeah, and so they define this as insufficient consultation, consideration of new hazards or performance impacts when planning for and implementing change, insufficient support, information or training during change, and uh, not commuting, communicating key information to workers during periods of change. Mm, interesting one. Yeah. What did you think about that one? 
Well, with the because they talk about communication, so not communicating key information. So I'm instantly going to the communication causal factors. Yeah, both downwards and up. Yeah, because I think it's two way. And if you some of the questions in like downward communication, is it timely? Mm. Is it sketchy? Or is it complete? You know, is it through the grapevine or is it formal? You know, these kinds of things. So hey, it's a bit sketchy and it's a it's delayed and you know it's through the grapevine. That doesn't feel particularly yep. safe. Also, communication for learning. Mm. So what are we talking about? So just rather than just telling them to sit the decision, involve them in the in the conversation. Yeah. And the other one, speaking of involvement, is probably involvement. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's questions in there. That's the consultation. Yeah, because there's questions in there. Am I involved in improving the organization? Yeah. You know, so that I think links as well. The other thing I was thinking is maybe training and development because part of training and development is orientation, onboarding, equity and access. So probably less directly than some of the ones that you talked about, but that probably would pick up, that would still give interesting information as a reflection on that. Yeah, well, they talk about training during change. So, mm. yeah, that that's probably under there. Okay, next one, inadequate reward and recognition. So jobs with low positive feedback mm. or imbalances between effort and recognition. A mm. uh, high level of un constructive negative feedback from managers or customers. Oh, I love the word there. <laughs> and low skill development opportunity or underused skills. Mm, interesting. Mm. So I think one of the things is the in our in terms of low positive feedback would be rewards and recognition. So less about the rewards but more around We've got questions that say, you know, your supervisor notices good work mm. and you're likely to get praise for it. So I think mm. that would measure positive feedback. The other thing that I think would be interesting here is actually job design. So one of the factors in job design that we look at is the something called feedback. Mm. And it's not it confuses people because yes. you think about feedback and you think of someone giving you feedback telling you, mm. you know, sharing some their observations. Their observations. Mm. Thank you. I was trying to struggle for a different word <laughs> than feedback. But what feedback is when it relates to a job design is the degree to which I get a sense of how well, how effective I am mm. just by doing my job. Mm. Okay. And so an example would be some of the if I'm a person in a contact centre and I've got a client on the phone and I've given them an answer that doesn't help them, they're going to tell me that it doesn't help. So the feedback from doing my job is right. immediate. Right. I know that I haven't been able to deliver that. In some organisations, they've got technology where positive feedback from a client after a phone call gets shot straight back to the person who's handled that call. Mm. So when we talk about feedback, we talk about the degree to which I can self-assess how mm. effective I am. Mm. Now, when you've got a job that's got good levels of feedback, it means that I invest the effort and I can see the result. Mm. And so in this psychosocial, it's when it says when there is an imbalance, low positive feedback or an imbalance between effort and recognition, so sometimes we work with people who work in, say, governance or audit. They're putting reports together. They're putting lots of effort into that report, but they won't hear what happened to that report and the outcomes of it 
It could be weeks. It could be months. So that's a job with low levels of mm. feedback. Mm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I always use silly examples for this one. But like, you know, I used to work as a landscaper back in my uh, yeah. university days. High feedback. Yeah. Right? I love that job because it was super high feedback. At the start of the day, it looks one way. And then, you know, some sweat and tears later. Yeah. You know, the garden looks different. Hopefully it looks amazing. Or even if it looked poor, that's also feedback, right? That might, if it didn't make a difference, you know, like it wasn't well used. So high feedback. I reckon in white collar kind of jobs, as you point out, often that's harder to assess. I had some meetings today. I sent a few emails. Was that a good day? Yeah. can be harder for people to assess. So how can we help them do that? And one of the questions we ask people and get them to focus on is how do you know that you've had a good day? What does that look like? And it's amazing how often people kind of stumble upon it and they have to kind of think about it for that reason. So I think job design in terms of feedback would be an important one measure in this inadequate reward and recognition as rewards and, and punishment. So the other side of that punishment is if I am experiencing negative negative outcome for something that I haven't done well. So for example, my manager highlights my mistake in front of a large group and mm-hmm. so I feel Public embarrassed. Embarrassment. Public yep. embarrassment or humiliation. I end up missing out on some of the cool projects because of one mistake that I made a year ago. Right. Or my manager kind of gives me the cold shoulder and doesn't spend any time uh-huh. with me because I've made a mistake. You're so shunned. You're shunned or put out to Coventry. So that's another one, I think, in terms of inadequate reward and recognition. Any other thoughts there, Dom? Look, the only other one that crossed my mind, I'm not sure if this maps or not, but under mission and philosophy is, mm. uh, you know, we celebrate yes. outstanding work. Yes, yep. I guess the intent of that causal factor, though, is probably more, you know, celebrate outstanding work aligned to the mission and philosophy yep. of the organisation. Yep. So it reinforces the mission and philosophy. But it's still... You know, celebrating outstanding work. So, yeah, yeah. So. I think I'd put it in there for sure. Cool. Next one, poor organizational justice. Mm. So inconsistent, unfair, discriminatory. Discriminatory. Thank you. Or inequitable management decisions and application of policies, including poor procedural mm. justice. Mm. And that cuts across a number of the factors that we use. So one of the things that we look at the cat, the groups of factors that we look at when we're looking at what why a culture is the way it is is called systems, mm. and systems are the people management systems. So mm. recruitment, selection and placement, training mm. and development, mm. performance appraisals, mm. and in all of these systems, there tends to be questions on fairness and mm. ob- objectivity versus mm. subjectivity. Mm. So in what would measure poor organisational justice would be respect for members. So that's the uh, the question is really around the degree to which people feel respected. It's pretty simple yep. and treated fairly with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. The other one is around fairness of appraisals, asks whether people feel that they're being their performance is being judged on objective measures rather than subjective measures. What are the other ones that you can think of, Dom? So the other one was selection and placement. Mm. So does the right person get the job or Mm. is it based on favoritism or something else? Yeah. And that's back to that just fairness thing, right? Mm. Like is it based on merit or was it based on, you know, who knows? There's some secret 
club handshake or something, <laughs> which doesn't feel fair. No. Right? Or it's not and the fair. other one, I think training and development also, the questions in the uh, culture inventory also ask about access to training and development opportunities. Mm, mm. So I think that would be included in there as well. Mm, interesting. The next one, this is a bit of a curveball. I'd, <laughs> I'll hear your take on it. It's traumatic mm. events or material. So experiencing fear or extreme risks to health or safety of themselves or others, exposure to natural disasters or seriously injured and deceased persons, hearing or seeing traumatic events, supporting victims of you know abuse and neglect mm. and stuff like that. That one I'm not so sure about. What do you reckon? Look, I think it's a standalone yeah. item. I think the diagnostics would probably – what we would probably do is add specific questions. Yeah, you can do We that. can tailor. Mm-hmm. We can add specific questions to assess that. But the other things that probably could factor into that are around stress. Yep. I would put in there and also to a degree the leadership mm-hmm. measures mm-hmm. around things like, you know, experiencing fear, reading, hearing, seeing count. So it's sort of the level of support. But I think stress would be the one that would be closest to that description. And then I think if people interested in measuring traumatic events and material for their organization would probably add something. Yeah, you could add supplementary questions. This is probably quite, you know, a lot of companies, this isn't really a factor, but mm. there'd be some particular occupations where they deal mm. with, you know, mm. challenging situations yeah. or something. If you're in, you know, in the ambulance or something, yeah. this would be up there. Right? Well, you've got ambulance, like all the first responders, hospital, health, right. bank, employees, you know. Could be, yeah. yeah, yeah I remember yeah. working for a bank and, you know, there would be armed holdups. Yeah, you know, that's and, traumatic. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right, next one, which is interesting, is remote or mm. isolated work. Interesting. So. With long, yeah. Yeah, they, they define it as working in locations with long travel times mm. or where access to help and uh, resources mm. or communications is mm. difficult or limited. We've kind of all put ourselves in that category now, Corinne, with yeah, <laughs> remote yeah. work. What do you reckon? Yeah, we have, actually. And I guess it might be covering things also sort of FIFO, you know, but FIFO tends to be quite well set up. So it might be people maybe who need to be on a road, on the road, servicing instruments and so on. I think that's an interesting one. There's probably a couple of things. I was thinking, in a way, some of that, working in locations with long travel times where access to help resources, communication is difficult. I could see that fitting to a degree under job design because job design is how the role has been designed, you know, in terms of the work factors and the conditions. And like, you know, thinking under there is interdependency. So am I a one-person show or, you know, do I have a buddy or something? Yeah, yeah. Or work with others, that's that's a factor in how we design the job. Yeah. And the other one probably in there would be empowerment or autonomy actually in this instance. Mm. I think you probably make a case for empowerment as well, but I was thinking autonomy because if you have high levels of, you need high levels of autonomy, the more remote you are from Cor- the centre. and you that's need, the communications yeah, thing as well, yeah. Yeah, yep. and, and you need to be able to make the call to get what you need. Yep. In terms of resources. So yep. I would say autonomy would be in there as well. I wonder what might be interesting as well for an organization if you had a mix of employees, like some are on the road, some are not, is you could do a subgroup and yeah. split them out. And that might be interesting to see, yep. you know, people who are remote or 
travel long distances or whatever? Well, often clients all have a subgroup of what they call field staff. Right. So these are the people who are on the road and mm. they don't have actually any office to go into. Yes. You know, they stay in hotels on the road or they, mm-hmm. you know, come back home. Mm-hmm. And so that's a kind of a whole area of leading and managing on its own. Mm. Hey, before we move on, FIFO? I've been saying FIFO. Have I been saying it wrong this whole time? I don't know. I don't know. FIFO, FIFO, <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> Maybe it is. Potato, potato. <laughs> it's the big question. Did you know what I meant? <laughs> I, I, I got right. that. Culture bites, tackling that. the tough challenges. The, the big questions. <laughs> All right. Oh, poor physical environment. Mm. Exposure to unpleasant or hazardous working environments. Depends how you interpret that one. I would kind of call a highly defensive culture a hazardous working environment but and unpleasant possibly, but I don't know if that's what they mean or not because they're poor physical environments. So I guess it's... It sounds more kind of hazardous, doesn't it? Like I'm dealing with hazardous waste or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yep. Or, you know, scaffolding or, you know, right. construction. Yeah. So again, there might be supplementary questions there. Violence and aggression, violence or threats of violence from other workers, including workers of other businesses, customers, patients or clients, aggressive behavior such as yelling or physical intimidation. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think that that's behavioral. Mm. So it's much more about the norms in the organization versus work factors. So I think that violence and aggression and even bullying, threats from other people, the next one. So this looks at as, as a psychosocial hazard. So the question for us is that, Violence and aggression, it's not that people don't know it's wrong mm. or the bullying's, it's not always bully. that they don't. It, mm. It's really whether you've got a culture that allows it, right. allows it and creates the opportunity for it to happen. Which is interesting for me, Corinne, because people often think of red yeah. with bullying, which yeah. is probably true. You know, power is, is yeah. know, and oppositional and, and even competitive, all of them actually could lead to some of that behavior. But I reckon it's got to be combined with a whole smash of that green stuff as well because we look the other way. Yeah, totally. Right? So, you know, I see someone being bullied and I just kind of pretend I didn't see that, you know, so we don't address it. So we don't have a speak-up culture so that we notice it, we talk about it, we tell everybody else how awful it is that it's happening, Mm. but we don't actually speak up. And we won't speak up because maybe there's some level of risk that we perceive Mm -hmm. to ourselves which actually – reinforces uh-huh. the bullying and the aggressive tactics, if it's you like. Security orientated. Yep. Yeah. And so I agree. I think that bullying, the culture that enables bullying or aggression isn't just red. There's a good amount of avoidance going on. So right. there's likely to be passive defensiveness as well. Yeah. So we kind of touched on bullying there. The next one was harassment, including sexual harassment. So harassment due to personal characteristics such as age, disability, race, nationality, religion, political affiliation, so on and so forth. Sexual harassment, any unwelcome sexual advance, harmful behavior that does not amount to bullying such as single instances but creates a risk to health or safety. Wow. The obvious one that... It's interesting. How they Uh, define it? Yeah, I'm sitting with that harmful behavior that doesn't amount to bullying. Well, because bullying, I think the definition is usually a repeated... Yeah. To be bullying, it's because you could just be a Mm. pain in the butt, but that's not bullying. It's when it's repetitive over time, I think, is what they define it as. So one interaction doesn't um, make a season, or I don't know what the saying is. 
But here, I mean, the one that jumps, the obvious one would be respect for members, mm. which is particularly mm. that first box I kind of talked about. So are people treated fairly regardless of mm. sex, age, and all those different sort of demographics that they mention uh, is a question in there, which probably also covers sexual harassment as well. Yeah. In there. Harmful behavior that does not amount to bullying. Probably harder to capture because it's a one-off event in their definition. It's a one-off event. So, Yeah, I think, look, I think that generally the same idea applies in terms of the kind of norms right. that are creating a culture where harm can happen, whether it's a one-off or, you know, repetitive. Mm. And it's, it does involve respect for members, consideration, mm. involvement. These are all factors in the, in the OCIOEI that really highlight the amount, the degree of voice mm. that employees have, mm. okay, the level of influence that they have in the organisation. So I think it kind of picks up in that. And similar, I think the norms in terms of aggressive, defensive and passive, defensive pick up in there as well. So I think that with these aspects, we'd be looking at the OCI. Yes. Particularly as a lens to be able to look at the norms that are allowing violence and aggression, allowing could be causing violence, bullying, harmful behaviours. One of the things that I was thinking about as we were talking, and so you might have seen my eyes off into the distance, I was actually thinking the lack of not embracing diversity, for example. So, for example, you know, a lack of inclusiveness. So I wondered where that oh, yeah. would sit here, right? It's not explicit, but it, it's probably picked up in several ways. But I would probably add that to some of the descriptors here, even though it's not so ours. it's not harassment per se, no. but yes, it's exclusion. It's the more, the, more the, it's the gradients of it, okay? Yeah. Harassment's right at the... The, the high end. intense end. Mm. What about at the lower end where mm. someone's question doesn't get answered or repeatedly ignored or, mm. you know, I'm not inc included when there are team drinks, that, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So it's an interesting one. Yes. I mean, because the, the descriptions in here tend to be like, like under violence and aggression, like yelling and physical intimidation. Sometimes like that stuff can be more subtle. Yeah. And it might you know be. I mean? And I guess maybe this instrument is to try and capture some of the more, the clearer right. lines, right. delineation. Yep. Last one, conflict or poor mm. workplace relationships and interactions. So mm. poor workplace relationships or interpersonal conflict between colleagues or from other businesses, clients or customers, frequent disagreements, disparaging or rude comments inappropriately excluding a worker from work-related activities. So that's maybe what you are talking about just before. Yeah. I think that's also a bit of a norm question in terms of the kind of norms that characterise the culture. Mm. I think there's also a few questions peppered throughout the OCI-OEI that might pick up on some of the themes, you know, in terms of the conflict between yes. colleagues, so in terms of inter-unit coordination. coordination. The degree to which practices cut across my ability, interfere with my ability to do work. I think stress could probably also pick up role conflict. So th I think that there are little questions as part of categories that could probably shine a light on that. But I think that's also more of a, a norm 
looking at the circumplex, the OCI. It'd probably also be if you looked into the items under yes oppositional, the items under power, yeah, competitive even, yeah, there'd probably be a bunch. Yeah, and of one of the well. things that we've done in the past is. Without necessarily doing a like for like, we've done a mapping as we've done now. Like we've just you and I have just quickly done this mm. a mapping, and then when we debrief, when we interpret the data, if you want to have a look at it from a psychosocial lens, so we look at it from the lens of the culture, from the lens of risk. We look at it from the lens of psychosocial hazards. Mm. We look at it from the lens of customer experience. So it is possible for us to have a look at map these, in this case, hazards, but also look at the questions within each of the styles to help us build a picture Mm. of the culture Mm. from a particular desired outcome. 100%. And all the examples we gave where there would be a hazard would lead to creating a defensive culture. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So so if you just kind of looked at the culture, that would give you a pretty good clue, like as in the circumplex, would give you a pretty good clue. Is this a safe psychosocial yeah. environment or not, yeah. that's kind of your first measure, really, yeah. your first yardstick to judge that by. Mm. Yeah, I've just got my mind full of possibilities yeah. of how we might be able to work with this. Cool. Well, I hope that's useful for people out there mm. and kind of mapping them together. It's quite a fun exercise, actually. I tested my uh, knowledge Lateral of the thinking OCI, well. OEI there as well. Hey, before we go, Corinne, maybe just some reminders for people. So we've got our conference coming up this year. Yay. And it's back in person. <laughs> Woohoo. Yep. That's awesome. So we, yep. No, that's all I was going to say. It's back in person. So if um, it's a wonderful time in Sydney and in Melbourne, especially the morning tea crush when everybody, <laughs> look, the wonderful thing about it is lots of people, but it's just fantastic to see that you're one of many. The whole community. The whole community Mm. gets together. Mm. And in a way, it's a celebration of the stories of leaders and organisations who have invested time, effort and energy and have reaped the rewards of actually working on leadership and culture. So as we speak, we're putting together a fantastic lineup. We'd love to see you. And the dates are? Sydney, 5th of September and Melbourne, 13th of September. So put those in your diary. Save the date. Save the date. Registrations will be open very soon. If they're not already, by the time you're listening to this, it might be uh, delayed. So check out our website. It'll be on there to get into it. The other one I just want to point out as well, Corinne, we we put on a bunch of PD events, professional development events for our network. And one people might be interested in is the value of self. Yes. So, you know, if you want to come along and deep dive and explore your own LSI 1, get a new LSI 1 to do and everything, uh, that's an awesome program. So if you're looking at really getting under the surface, it goes pretty deep. Yeah. It goes pretty deep, that workshop. Yeah. So if that sounds like you, check out our professional development calendar on our website as well. And the other one that Sean McCarthy does is the family of origin childhood origin childhood people origin. love that one they yeah. love it always That's... well subscribe but we've got another one coming up so childhood origin 7th of june ah value soon. of self is 27th of june great so hopefully you can get along to it that'd be awesome all right corinne thanks for your time today thanks dom thanks for listening to this episode of culture bites if you enjoy the show Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, 
leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. Today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty, all rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.